This week's Sonic Talk, what is a harpagee? Chapman stick and a bit of King Crimson love and the subcontrabass saxophone, of all things. Plus, planning a studio space. What exactly do you need to get right? Sonic Talk is brought to you by Yamaha. Check out the O1V96i digital desk, one of the finest compact digital consoles with oodles of power. For more information, visit YamahaProAudio.com and search O1V96i. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Sonic Talk number 254. Finally, if I talk really fast, then maybe it won't break again. This is the fourth time I've pressed the button. Hopefully this time it'll work. As you can see, we're in a new place. This is uh, uh, new Sonic Towers. It's a little like a bit of a bordello, but that's because we've got a heater emitting light because these uh, massive windows here, here and here are um, three-by-two-metre single-glazed units uh, which uh, leak heat like um, a sieve. But it's very it's a great space. We've got lots and lots of room, and I want to say thank you very much to everybody for joining us this week and hanging in there while, uh, while we go through some of our technical difficulties. Because uh, really, this should be okay, because we've got ten times the upstream and something like four times the downstream here. So, you know, we should be doing fine. Anyway, I'm going to quickly introduce some guests, because uh, otherwise it might all crash again. So I'll start off with you, Dave Spears, because you're there. P- looking pensive. Dave Spears, yeah. g4software.com. How the devil are you? Your video's looking a little good, but you definitely need to clean the uh, iCam, your your eye, eyesight screen. It's very, very uh, m- m- okay. mucky. Hang on, let's do that right now. Shall yeah. I just go through, the, just in case anything happens, <laughs> shall I just go through the topics quickly? My opinion. Uh, <laughs> like, no opinion whatsoever. Quite like, uh, no at all. And yes. There you go. Thank you very much. Right, um, well, we'll get back to you some other time, but thank you very much. Um, so, uh, how are you, Dave? Are you all right? I'm all right, thank you. Good, I'm glad to hear that. Because uh, I'm just about, I'm a bit distracted because I'm still trying to make sure, I still want to make sure everything's going to work. But yes, um, here we are, and we moved. And I gave you a bit of a tour the other day, didn't I, um, uh, with the camera. I might do that again because I've plugged it in the extra long lead. Oh, yeah, um, do that. So I might well really do good. that. G4 Software, makers of fine musical instruments. Uh, software musical instruments are currently in production of all sorts of goodies, I'm sure, even though he probably can't tell us anything about them. But uh, welcome, Dave. And uh, we'll move over to uh, Gaz Williams there, songsurgeon.co.uk. .co.uk is also a co-host on the Sonic Touch show, which went up on YouTube yesterday. I'm going to publish the article tomorrow uh, or later on today, if I get the chance to put it up on Sonic. Um, Gaz, um, like a trooper... Uh, was actually, actually at one point he had such a bad cold while I was messing around trying to review my Android app where I ran into all sorts of technical difficulties, he fell asleep. Oh, sh- <laughs> No, he was resting. Because he came, you wouldn't, honestly, you'd never tell from the, your, your, your performance of the on camera. When you're on, you're on, but when you're off, you were really off. Oh, so, I was poorly. I was poorly. You feeling better? Uh, I'm nearly there, but uh, still just hanging around this cold. I've been copying up some unbelievable, horrible things, <laughs> but. Uh, <laughs> Uh, That's which nice. I think is uh, maybe maybe a sign that it's almost through. Oh uh, well, I uh, hope so. I hope I hope it is. You're you're very uh, you're. I'd say you're eight bit today. But, oh, what's uh, going on? I don't That's know. But it's about. Fair. I think we're going to have to investigate an alternative uh, video conferencing system, like maybe Google Plus or uh, something else like that. I think uh-huh. we're going to have to, aren't we? Mm. Anyway. Um, Thank you very much for joining us, and we've also got Mr. Rich Hilton over there in Connecticut, where I'm guessing, if I think it's cold here, I'm sure it's colder there. How are you doing, Rich Hilton? Uh, I'm Rich doing Hilton. well. Hiltonius, there you are. Ah, oh, look at that pristine quality. Have you had a haircut? Yeah, ah, both of them. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> you can see mine. Actually, my 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 um, camera's probably. Uh, I don't know what it's like at your end, but uh, it looks very high fidelity. My end. Cool. Anyway, Rich, thanks for joining us. Rich, of course, uh, engineer, player, producer, works uh, exclu- not exclusively, but uh, mainly in um, Nile Rogers' private facility. His his incredible secret bunker where all sorts of fabulous <laughs> musical projects. Are, uh, are worked on daily, and also plays in the uh, in the disco band Chic, who you will no doubt have heard of. Got any gigs coming up? I suppose it's too cold for outdoor sort of Chic gigs, isn't it, at the moment for you? 
No, not at all. We played last weekend in Houston at a huge fundraiser for a uh, children's cancer hospital there that raised over $32 million. Oh, my gosh. Yay! Wow, that's astonishing. And uh, we've got uh, the end of this month, we leave to go to Australia. Wow. We're actually going to be playing quite a bit, and we'll be in the UK some as well. Oh, brilliant. Well, um, do do tell us. Um, yeah, you can, I, I mean, look, things. this place is so massive, you could probably do the show right here. We could get the disco <laughs> mat in the space here. Maybe a little detour there. I don't know. We'll see. It's anyway, got Rich, $32 million. Yes. I, I don't think we can match that level of funding. <laughs> it's just the sheep band giving up their PDs for a day, isn't it? <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's about surprising. <laughs> Oh, sure. I'd imagine, yeah, it must be something like that. Anyway, Gold guys. Dollar. Well, dollar. yeah, half Gold their PDs. And, of course, we have over here, we have uh, PJ Tracy from pjtracysound.com. I think I've got a third for you there. There it goes. Good How day, are you, P- PJ, uh, you tell me you're back in your old space. We're in our new space and you're in your old space. It's all kind of everybody's moving around. How's things? Uh, yeah, things are remarkably good today for the several sets of shifting circumstances <laughs> under which I've been living lately. So, yeah, good. Excellent. Can't, can't complain. Well, uh, we, we, I can thoroughly concur with that shifting circumstances because uh, literally we moved – well, we did the show, uh, the Sonic Touch show with Gaz uh, last week uh, and then um, literally – I kicked Gaz out and started packing. And then at 10 o'clock the next morning, the van arrived and off we went. And we brought it all in. And um, we were kind of up and running on Monday, which is pretty good. So I'm, I'm, you know, so far, so good. Fingers crossed. And all, well, yeah. lots of things are crossed at the moment. But I'm looking forward to making more use of this space. As you can see, we've got a, I mean, it's very similar layout. We've done the same sort of thing just because operationally it's easy for us to just keep pick up where we left off. Uh, but perhaps more on that, and there's a topic that might be a, a kind of aligned to that whole business coming up a bit later on. But first, we have a topic to do with uh, this new musical instrument. And I, after doing all this preparation, I was wondering whether or not we'd actually covered it before. I'm not sure, but let's take a look, see if we have. Right, I'm not going to play all of that, but that was uh, the harp. Now I don't know if I can pronounce this right. It's called harpagey, harpagey, harpagey. Uh, here it is. That's what it looks like. It's that's how you spell it. Oh, two J's. Right. It's by somebody called <coughs> Marcodi, and it's quite an interesting concept actually. It's a sort of hammer on. It's a, they call it a um, a tapping instrument. And you can get a 16 version string version and a 24 string, and it's got this kind of layout that that looks a little bit like uh, a keyboard, and um, it's quite it's got there's some interesting stuff to it, and I just thought it was quite and, and once again Jordan Rudess does play it. I think I might have him here playing it. Is this him? No, it's not. <laughs> I won't. Have, but he does. He you know because he can play fast on it and what have you. It does sound quite nice. I mean I haven't heard an enormous amount of stuff. That was going through something called a crystal delay, which I believe is uh, an eventide. Um, effect if i remember correctly rich have you seen this before i mean uh, as a keyboard player does it i mean i guess is is this does it would could it could it be playable i mean do you think you have you have you seen one is this something you'd like to explore okay <laughs> which question shall i answer i don't I know whichever one you one. feel like i have not seen one and i very much would like to it is fascinating to me i love the idea of being in physical contact with the vibration so Having your hands on the strings is uh, very, very intriguing to me. And the sounds that that guy got, the crystallizer sounds, yes, I believe it's Eventide. It also exists in now Sound Toys world as their crystallizer plugin. 
which is I'm I'm suspecting what they used, but I don't know. Um, and I, I it looks fascinating to me. It looks like a gorgeous piece. Uh, we have a guy in the chat room uh, who says, "Yeah, this guy edged." He said the string yeah. the strings mute when not in contact with a fret, and had it for about a year. That's kind of interesting. So it looks somebody's actually got their hands on it, and it does look like it's. You can be that there are different kinds of ways of playing it, aren't there? I mean, if you watch the other videos, there's there's yeah. the sort of lead line kind of widdly type, and there's but there's also quite interesting hammer on chordy kind of stuff, which sounded quite good as well. But I will point out in general, in my own opinion, that touch string instruments have a somewhat by proscription have a somewhat limited range of articulations available to them as compared to anything that's even remotely like a wind instrument or a bowed instrument, or even on some level, a guitar. Okay. And is that, is that because of the, I mean, because it looks like you can vibrate and slide and, and bend, strum and hammer on on this. So there's quite a lot of articulations, I guess. But maybe that whole thing that you get with a guitar where you've got the t two levels of plucking. Well, instrument. one hand is creating... Now, I don't see many people actually... There was some strumming going on where a guy would finger a chord with one hand and strum across the top of the thing with the other, and that was sort of getting to what I'm talking about. But when you look at a classical guitarist, for example, or a finger-style guitarist, or basically anybody who's not using the plectrum as his primary uh, uh, in initiating, instantiating device, yeah. you get a very, very wide range of sounds off of your fingers because one finger is in contact with the string forming the pitch and the other string is generating the vi The other hand is yeah, generating yeah, yeah. the vibration. Whereas with this, where there's even like on a guitar where you've got touch guys like Stanley Jordan or on a Chapman stick or on this instrument, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that particular range of articulations. I'm just saying it's a fairly it's limited number of ways to excite vibration in these things. Oh, that's interesting. And they really all thought... pretty much all come with a heart attack on the front of them. Yeah, that's a good point. Gaz, I suspect you, I mean, you've got all sorts of um, string type instruments. Is this something that you've you've explored? I mean, just the general tapping as a as a, a method of playing. I mean, does it kind of elicit any uh, creative excitement in you yeah i'd love one of these this is uh, really yeah very 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 nice um uh, i have tried playing chapman stick a little bit as well which it did remind me a little bit of a chapman stick uh, certainly the, the the touch approach um chapman sticks are very very tricky to play yeah uh, uh so this looks a lot easier to play than a chapman stick um i, I think it looks wonderful and and i really like plugging things into effect so i think that is an ideal candidate for doing that kind of thing with it um do we know do we know what kind of price it is yes it's quite expensive but i think it's a kind of almost luthier style kind of thing it's no it's uh, very expensive it's, it the is 24, uh, the 24 string version is four thousand dollars yeah oh and, and, six and the string. 16 string version is two thousand dollars yeah uh, okay. they're handmade wooden yeah devices. i mean they are I kind mean, of be fair yeah. This, this is not a mass-produced item. They're a very small company out of what I believe is Maryland from the looks of it. And uh, in other words, it, it's a lot of money to get into something to see if you like it. That's for sure. But um, it's, you know, it's a hand-built custom. It's almost, And in some ways, it resembles like a koto or a Chinese instrument yeah. that people strike with like little hammers. That, that It's almost like a cross between this and a hammer dulcimer. Um you know, so it reminds me, it's a handmade wooden thing. I mean, yeah, I know it is. And it's got, I mean, each of the inlays, if I go back to the web view, um, you know, they're, they're, that's all it's kind of octave, you know, it's, 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 it's designed in a way, what they call isomorphic, where it's easy to throw the same shapes. And in the same way that you can with guitar, it, it makes it much easier to zoom up and down octaves and go up and down, which is, you know, obviously suited to, uh, I think that's the, one of the things that, that uh, Jordan looks for, because he can play very, very quickly with it, and it tra his skills translate. I don't know, PJ, I, I mean, you're a pianist. I mean, is there any, uh, you could play this, presumably, right? Uh, presumably, I could I could learn to play it. Sure. Um, I'll, I'll be honest. I I only was able to see the video, so I I didn't look into it as deeply as as it seems the rest of everybody has. So I have a couple of really quick questions about this device because it looks really intriguing. What is the sound generation source <laughs> for it? Is is it's internal? 
sounds. Uh, it's the string. The actual strings, um, I, I guess, resonate, and there must be a pickup in there. And I don't know what. Oh, con- it is. I don't oh, know. Okay. I don't know how acoustically loud it is before it's amplified. I don't know how. I'm, I see. I'm guessing it must be quite quiet. But um, okay. Ed, yeah, Ed says. So it is. The, so it is like a Chapman stick in that regard. And, Ed says and in the, the chat other. room, it's actual strings with pickups. Because um, Ed, oh, Ed in the chat room is actually a, a, somebody who's experienced this firsthand, and he said also um, it's very easy to play. I mean, it just only takes about two minutes to get you going on it, which is kind of interesting. I mean, I'm, I'm imagining that it's it's all down to you know if you've got guitar fingers, you know, hammer-ons are the things that really get your uh, your calluses going, aren't they? So you get you know if you've got some some uh, callus action going on there, then you're going to be able to uh, to play it more fluently than if you are. Um, just a pianist and don't have those hard pads on the end of your fingers, I suppose. But now here's you know a question that that I'd have for the designer. I wonder if this wasn't built purpose for somebody that you know that that asked for it to be built for them, and then they just started production run on it to sell it if it's selling at that price point. Because like Rich said, that's an awful lot of money to get into something to see whether or not you like it. You know, given the fact that it's it is an instrument with a limited range and a limited articulation. I mean obviously you can run it through effects like they were doing and get some fantastic, you know, really interesting sounds. But of course you can do that with any number of devices and and get a wide range of sounds. So it's all about what you know what kind of expressiveness does this instrument offer that you know that another instrument wouldn't i guess well it's interesting i mean i think this it's all about a sound and this uh, i mean i don't know dave spears i mean this is uh, i'm going to come up to you just purely because uh i've got a link this with my journey of looking at what the uh harpeggi or harpeggi i don't know exactly how harpeggi okay that's how you pronounce it it's there phonetically right there on the web page for those who uh, need to know, which is evidently what I do. Harpeggi. Right, there we go. Um, I'm just wondering, um, what do you think about this? I loved it. That's why I uh, sent you the link. Oh, yeah. Uh, no, it, it was, was you, great. wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, John sent it to me and just kind of went, oh, you know, it's interesting and blah, blah, blah. And I just I went through a load of the videos and thought, oh, I really like this. And it's kind of rare. I got really bored years ago when... Uh, God, I can't try to think what year it was, but virtually ev- after Pat Metheny did a load of stuff with auto harp, virtually every muso I knew went out and bought, bought auto harp, and I just kind of went off of them very, very quickly. And I kind of haven't never really got involved, but I love the clav, and there was a certain, and I do like the Chapman stick, although I've never played one, um, but yeah, I love the difficult. way. Yeah, and it just sort of struck me as a kind of, Chapman stick stroke clav vibe for corpulent people, which would suit me <laughs> it's quite inter- nicely. It's interesting that you say that because one of the things that I found myself searching, I was looking and I thought, oh, it's a bit like a Chapman stick. And I discovered, I rediscovered something that just I haven't heard for 25, 30 years. And I have to play it just purely because it is so awesome. And it's down to the fact, and this, this demonstrates that obviously something like this, if you get it to make a sound that only it can make, you can end up with this kind of result. Sorry, I gotta do that again. Here it comes. making me shiver all over just watching that again because I, I as I, as a kid you know I guess I must have been at, still at school when that came out and it just totally totally blew me away and and we were listening to it in the office before the show and I, I tweeted out that I was playing a bunch of this stuff before as pre-show and 
it it brought back this uh, the, the thing that got me is the energy and the sort of the excitement and the just the pure kind of like listen to the sounds that these things make and all of the all of the elements of this band i was thinking hold on a minute i was looking at um that's a later version of adrian Ballou. i think that's a, a, a maybe a reformation or something i'm not sure because he had quite long hair there was him in a big white suit with a load of grooves that were just like talking heads but way before talking heads did that thing um, are, you, are you sure after. After. Not sure about that was time frame after? there. Nick. Okay, maybe I got that wrong. In which I'm case, I'm pretty sure that Remain in Light came out before that did, but or right around the same time. I think so it, it came out after, of- slightly after. Discipline was while well, I was still at school. Discipline was '81. Ah, uh, okay. And yeah. what was what what was um... Remain in Light? I think was like '79. Ah, okay. All right, I'd stand corrected, but I mean, and eight- Remain in Light was like the fourth or fifth Talking Heads album. Yeah. And Adrian but I Ballou, think that's the point that you're kind of referring yeah. to, where Eno kicked in and the whole thing. Ah, uh, okay, right. Did Eno get involved in that, that early stuff? Yeah. Well, no, I'm not talking about King Crimson now. Ah, I'm saying no, I just wonder whether, whether he had because, but that just and also the whole kind of sound of the Chapman stick and that whole kind of bait. It was just so vibey, and you know that yeah. went on to 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 form a quite a large part of the sound of that Gabriel album, so as well because Tony Levin was in that band, and it was well, just, and the preceding and before, few uh, Gabriel yeah. albums as well. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it just it, made it's me all over of, those. It just made me think, oh, what an influential band. And I hadn't heard that for ages because I don't think you can get any of that stuff. It's not on iTunes. It's not on Spotify. Uh, oh, I don't, sure you, you, uh, you Well, you, I, haven't, I haven't seen it on you iTunes or Spotify. You have buy it on whatever Fripp's website is. Ah, these days. Uh, you can buy it this direct from Fripp. It Discipline Global Mobile. I don't know if it oh, really? still is or that, yeah, I guess the point or, was it's actually quite hard to come by, and I saw it all on YouTube. I was like, "Wow, here it all is, fantastic!" Anyway, and but it just it just got me thinking about you know that something like the Harpagee, if in the right set of hands with the right sound, can kind of spurn a whole genre and a whole generation of kind of musical excitement. And there were some great videos on that site, actually. I would think I would think those guys are hoping that it will. But it, I suppose the next topic, I mean, this is a bit off the cuff, is, you know, what was the last, when was the last time this happened? Because, I mean, you think Chapman Stick, that was really big deal, you know, that kind of created an enormous amount of things. I mean, I suppose you could say 808, 909 kind of stuff. But, I mean, in terms of a, a visceral instrument that had a specific kind of playability, wasn't machine generated. I just, I was trying to think. I when, couldn't think of any other. When was... When was the super contrabass saxophone invented? <laughs> well, the I, can sousaphone. Tell, I can tell you, I can tell you that. Would you like me to, would you like me to play you that video? Is that a cue for this oh, next video? Oh, do you video? have a video for that? I certainly do. Would you like to see it? Yes. Well, but actually first, before I do, I think perhaps I should have a word from our sponsor because um, time has marched <laughs> on quite considerably because of the false starts of the show. So I'm going to just say <laughs> I, a word. Hand you the segue of doom on a silver platter. Ah, yes, but uh, that, that's <laughs> yeah, known as the no, It's known as the tease, Rich. Anyway, here it comes. Yes, anyway, Yamaha 01V96i. Uh, we want to say thank you very much to Yamaha for their continued sponsor of the show. Uh, in fact, this 01V96i is a new desk. It's a kind of incarnation of the original Yamaha desk. It has an enormous amount of extra power under the hood. It's got 16-inch, 16-out USB 2 audio streaming, refined studio-quality head amps, which are the same ones that are in the Steinberg audio interfaces, which I know PJ's been uh, raving about in terms of sound and really does uh, uh, rate them. Uh, there's a full suite of VCM effects, master strip, channel strip, vintage, stomp effects, Rev X reverb, 40 mixing channels, 32 mono, 4 stereo, 16 analog and 8 digital inputs, 8 channel ADAT, uh, optical interface as standard, 24-bit 96K ADDA converters, eight auxiliaries, 100 millimeter motorized faders, four effects simultaneously. Each mono channel provides four-band EQ compressor and gate. Uh, you get Cubase AI, advanced door support, so you can use it as a control surface. Studio Manager version 2 support, you can cascade them using two together, uh, mini YG DI expansion slot so if you want to take a look at what the o1v96 has to offer check the url below which is a bitly url which is bit.ly slash 01v96i and that's a special one i've created just for them so i want to say thank you very much to yamaha for the continued sponsor of the show as you probably know i mix um this whole setup it works on a uh, yamaha digital desk in my opinion sort of still 
the kind of standard to beat in terms of uh, compact digital audio consoles. So please do check out the O1V96i. Anyway, uh, Rich, and here comes the baritone saxophone. <laughs> Can you go? I think that's about as far as you usually usefully can go. That's astonishing. That is called the subcontrabass saxophone, which was in fact, um, it was it, it was invented in like nineteen fifteen or something by uh, Adolf. I'm trying to remember the name of it. Actually, I didn't think Adolf the Adolf saxophone. It was pl- it was planned uh, to be built, but was never constructed. And uh, in, until nineteen ninety nine, no genuine playable subcontrabass saxophones were made. And that one was the uh, Gel Stainer subcontrabass saxophone, uh, played by somebody um, who was just demonstrating how. And Jesus, that goes low, doesn't it? I mean, I, I'm sh- I'm guessing we were hearing sort of more of the reedy higher harmonics, but you could tell that there was quite a lot of air moving in there. You've, you uh, certainly on headphones. There's there's obviously a, 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 a fundamental in there that was uh, pretty immense. That's just an awesome instrument. I mean, I can't imagine where you'd use it, but uh, great. And uh, Rich, I know you appreciated this because you gave me the fee to, to link it back to you, and I'm, I'm sorry I, I had to play it. the ad. I loved it. I've never seen one before. I can't imagine. In fact, the only time I think I've ever seen a bass sax, not a contrabass sax, but a bass saxophone, was the 1988 Frank Zappa touring band had a five-piece horn section in which one guy played bass sax Oh, at least half the night wow. and baritone the rest of it. Amazing things, though, aren't they? I mean, I mean, I'm guessing that must cost a, a fortune. I mean, at least four grand, I'd imagine, just for the metal in that. I mean, there's, there's oh, I think of... it had a price on it. It was a forty, fifty grand. I know. I yeah. think it's on the order of forty grand. Wow. Uh, I... It sort of feels like it should be worth it though, because there's a whole but it's shiny. <laughs> it's shiny, well, big, get, and made I'll of metal. You're going to make it a time. Yeah, I mean, you're going to need to make. I know. I love. I love the sound of that. I love the sound of baritone saxophones. In fact, one of you, uh, you probably don't know this, but Will Gregory, who is uh, one half of the popular beat combo Goldfrap, is a really excellent baritone saxophone player. In fact, so wow. good, so good that he used to play in the Michael Nyman band. Wow! And um, he uh, he played. Uh, he he produced a record which I did the edits for called uh, London Saxophonic. Uh, who a big ensemble of saxophones who did a whole set of arrangements of the Michael Nyman. If you if you get to check it out, a London saxophonic and it's uh, it's uh, they play Michael Nyman and it's just saxophones and he's playing baritone saxophone and there's Amazing. a lot of other people and he arranged all of the stuff and he's you know he's a really really good baritone sax player and you just I had no idea. Anyway, I just thought I'd throw that little tip in. Is that like widely known? Or is it just me who didn't know that? I don't think it's... I mean, he, he doesn't play sax. I don't think he's played sax on any golf rap stuff. Maybe one there was, might have been something. But uh, no, he's... Working hours, brilliant. Oh, yeah, Sounds and, and you probably don't know uh, he played saxophone, the saxophones on all the Tears for Fears stuff. So that's all of the... Oh, is that oh, right? But a little, uh, that's him too, yeah. I know <laughs> Yeah, he's got a, he's a man of hidden talent. In fact, I'm, I'm sure he won't mind me saying this, but uh, he went to Berkeley. That's where he studied. Cool. He, studied. he went to Berkeley and then came back to England and joined uh, Tears for Fear. Oh, well, I don't know what exactly what he did, but he was in Tears for Fears. But he's classically very well accomplished. I mean, in the Michael Nyman stuff, you have to be pretty damn good to play yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, he's the obviously that, a serious dude. The thing that was quite interesting about, uh, about the Michael Nyman stuff, actually, is that um, Michael Nyman is a great composer, but he's a bit of a beast when it comes to playing. He doesn't really have an awful lot of dynamics. So the band, he's just whacking it out on the piano. He's not very... So they did all these arrangements which were beautifully dynamic and really sort of lyrical, and it it really kind of threw a whole something uh, extra to it. And I remember because I did the edits on my uh, my, my audio media card and sound, uh, sound designer, 
And uh, I, my edits got a special mention as being um, savage and butcher-like <laughs> by, <laughs> by what high, you know, because it was, it, was it was reviewed in, in one of those esoteric magazines. So I'm quite proud of that. But nobody else seems to mind. <laughs> That's a good thing. Don't you That's think? I, feel, I, feel, I, I do feel quite proud of that, uh, that accomplishment, I must say. Gaz, you quite look like you were, produ- quite a few productions need that. Yeah, Gaz, you look like you were waving your microphone to come in there at one point, and I'm afraid I talked over you. Was, uh, was there something you wanted to add? No, I was leaning backwards to turn my, my heater on. Ah, <laughs> my heater. I've got a but, heater. There it is yeah. in the corner. It's glowing with this just, sort of bordello look. Ah, I have just uh, I've just completed an album of uh, like a. Um, by a guy called Kevin Feige, he's a really terrific musician based in Bristol, and that's a baritone. He's a baritone sax player, and um, and uh, a really cool album, uh, Four Sided Triangle, it's called, and that's going to be out pretty soon. And uh, that was nice because uh, kind of very sort of live, evil Miles Davis era kind of vibe, early seventies kind of. Um, and uh, really enjoyed working on that. That was a real, real treat. Tell me, was uh, there any slap bass? Oh, God, no, no, it's way before the slappy era okay, of Miles, just you know. To check. No, it's more like that kind of really dirty, gnarly, sort of dark, sort of um, post-bitches brew, you know, sort of uh, uh, on the corner, Miles Davis, that kind of vibe. Really, really good. Really exciting. Love that record. Mm. Oh, excellent. Yeah. Okay. No, no, <laughs> good. Good for you. That's I mean, a, I... That's a, the baritone is a lovely instrument. In fact, oh. I recorded baritone uh, a couple of weeks ago, and uh, it's such a satisfying instrument to record. It's just got such a lovely, rich, thick tone. Well, in the right hands, it can it can actually transcend. You know, it can come out of its dedicated octave range and play quite high. Uh, and 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 it ha- and it, if it's a nice instrument, it's got a love. It's got it can have a really lovely tone as well as a really. Hon- I guess it depends on what reeds you use and all that sort of stuff. But uh, no, Will, I, I, I not harp on too much about Will, but he's got a lovely collection of saxophones, baritone sax. But he's got a soprano sax. That is uh, bent, you know, not a straight one. Which uh, and that sounds lovely, absolutely lovely. But anyway, I, I, I'm waffling on a bit too much about that. But uh, yeah, I think um, everybody should have baritone or sub bass contra saxophone in their life somewhere. It's a especially bit like if you pe- live in a terraced house. Yeah, terraced house. I think we should probably have one here, shouldn't we? And as that and uh, ch- sort of sousaphones and you know those kind of euphoniums, those sort of things, big sort of brassy instruments. There's something about them that just sort of appeal to me, and I can't think what it is. Maybe I need to. Anyway, no, Wagner, I'm not, I'm not, Wagner I'm, bass trombones. Yeah, all that stuff. <laughs> I'm not going to do any horn gags. All right, I just want to stop that right in right now. So you guys in the chat room, I don't want to see any smut there. They're excellent, and they're being very good. Thank you very much. Um, anyway, that was that was a fairly random, and, and again, uh, that was only there really. And I'm not. I think the reason that I came up was purely because when I was looking at the um, at the the Harpeg, this came up as one of those related videos, and I went, "Oh, what's that? That looks like a very large saxophone." So it's completely random. So anyway, uh, what's next? Uh, studio planning. Wow. Now, what can I say? But, and this is something, you know, obviously, here we are. We've got a large, empty room with our desks kind of more or less aligned in the same, same way that they were before, purely because all the wiring and everything is designed to work that way. And this whole idea of, like, what do we do with this space now? I mean, the idea is we want it to be as flexible as possible and also accommodate any kind of future plans. And we've all come across this kind of issue before. You know, we've had to plan studios and patch bays and those kind of things. And I just wondered, I know, PJ, you're doing something along the same lines as at the moment. Yes, sir. What on earth, how, how does one approach something like this philosophically to kind of go, right, I need to retain an amount of flexibility and... Uh, spontaneity or something that can come, you know, so things can change. I'm not tied into this kind of tightly regimented, furnitured up thing. How do you, how are you going to tackle yours, for instance? Okay. Well, uh, that's, that's, that's a good a big, question. It's a big question. I realize it is. A, yeah, it's a big topic. Um, I gave it a lot of forethought. Um, and basically it started with uh, form and function kind of overarching, you know, philosophical questions. So, for instance, the space that I'm moving into currently is an old house that was converted years ago yeah. into a recording studio. So there's already existing structures. We have four rooms, um, two mixing rooms, 
two live rooms, one small enough to make dead into a booth, and another is for tracking, you know, instruments or bands all at once, that kind of thing. Um, <clears throat> currently, we're pulling apart the control room and rewiring it um, and pretty much redoing everything that's in there from, you know, conversion to monitors. We're going counselless, um, so sort of that decision was the first one to make. Do we want a council at the center of everything or not? Okay. And I decided uh, personally that uh, I would like to try it without one. And so then the question is, how do you achieve, you know, enough flexibility on the front end so that you can quickly get things up and running and create full back, you know, for artists and that kind of thing. And then during a mixing situation, how do I get things in and out of the box? So that sort of drove, you know, everything else and uh what we've sort of hit upon is a <clears throat> multi-converter um you know kind of structure so i've got uh ssl converters that are modified they provide a lot of ins and outs um they're very very good for actually being agnostic and the center to a couple of different machines that are hooked up to it via different protocols Mati and and uh optical and then uh, we're folding back into a Burl converter for our master converter. And then um, we will be running out to several pieces of outboard gear, which are all either racked in, you know, 19-inch rack units or 500 series racks that we have uh, kind of scattered around the workplace. And then eventually we'll go out to a summing desk. And I'm, that's sort of the last piece of the puzzle for me is figuring out what I want to use for summing. And then everything is wired to a patch bay, so it's very, very quick and easy to sort of grab all inputs from all rooms, route them anywhere in the studio on the way in, and then grab any output from our converters on the way out and back in so that I can patch in anything very quickly while I'm mixing or editing or sound designing or doing whatever I want to do. I have uh, multiple bays in the room for TRS, for XLR. Uh, multiple bays in other rooms for direct injection, um, you know, so that I can hook a base direct into a sans amp or I can mic up the cabinet, however I want to do that. And then the other half of the equation, and it's a lot easier to sort of go over, was just microphone selection, looking right. at my locker, looking at the locker of, of the guy that I'm partnering up with and saying, where are there obvious holes? Um, what is it that I want to achieve sonically in the near future? What can I see wanting to do down the road? And just sort of uh, filling in all holes, and there were several in in both of our lockers. So we sort of went for the some of the obvious suspects. Um, a lot of times, I bought clones, um, you know, of some of the some of the more vintagey things. So I went with an advanced audio clone of a U67 and a C12. Um, I bought some Mojave audio microphones, which aren't clones as such, but they can replace some things like. Um, tube 47s and things like that. Right. Um, they get they get in the same ballpark. And then uh, a lot of ribbon mics, uh, a ton of different dynamic mics, um, just to kind of round out the whole thing. And then that sort of just leaves a lot of options open for us to be as creative as we want to be. So that's, so that's how, how, how did you how did you fit? Did you feel that there was a kind of was it a difficult decision to go for the uh, lack of central console? Because in some respects, that's not only a a, a functional um, aspect to a studio. It's a kind of centerpiece, isn't it, that people can congregate around and, 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 and you know, monitor from and what have you. I mean, was that a difficult choice or did you just think, what the hell? For me, no. Um, aesthetically, in terms of aesthetic, you know, we're not too worried about um, pleasing a client. Most of the work that I do is remote. Um, any bands that we'll bring in or any ensembles that we will bring in, will you, for me, will usually be in the service of a project that I'm working on, usually for a remote client. Right. So it's it's not necessary to bring somebody in and have them go, wow, there's a you know there's a big API desk there or something like that, okay. or even even just a top desk, which is what they had in there previously. Um, for my partner, it took a little convincing that we could do proper foldback. Um, you know, with multiple headphone mixes to to artists in the box and send it out to headphone amps and make everybody happy. But once we sussed that out and and made sure that that could happen, he was ready to give up the council like that. It mm. just freed up a lot of space and um, just seemed like like the way to go. So, Interesting. Yeah, that for sounds, us, for us, it wasn't too difficult. That sounds great. And um, yeah, Rich. So PJ, I'm sorry. Say again. What were you listening through? 
Oh, I'm sorry. What are we listening through? What do we have? For yeah, what's your monitor path? <clears throat> so we have um, my tech converters going directly out to a couple sets of monitors. We have uh, Genelec 8040As and the new SC Minro um, eggs. Mm. Just so how do you today. get from, from point A to point B in that? Uh, how do you my- get out of um, the MyTechs? You come out analog and then, pack yeah. and then like that? Yeah, directly okay. And so you, have, you don't have a volume control between the output of your converter and the input to your speaker. I, that- I do with the I do with the Monroe eggs because the eggs are um they have a separate amplification and monitor control so they're they're passive they're passive speakers you can always get one of these which I I would actually get. they call them like active active passive they're they have a matched amplifier yeah they have a matched amplifier that couldn't fit inside due to the design that I guess Andy Monroe made of these uh, you know of these egg shaped monitors you couldn't fit the amp inside the enclosure without. Um, you know, compromising the design. So he matched the amp to the to the eggs, and then the amp becomes your monitor controller. And then it has a, a B input for a second set of monitors if you want them. Okay. Now the eggs have two volume controls on them. Is that right? They do. Yep. There's not a single knob that that controls your monitors. No, there is a single knob that controls both those monitors, but there's an A and a B volume control. So I can I can monitor a second source off that. Hmm. Off those eggs. If I oh, I to. see. Each knob controls a stereo path. Yes, that's correct. I see. Oh, interesting. Interesting. Okay. I just uh, I've, we just ordered some actually the Munro eggs after your recommendation, DJ. Actually, just to have them on trial. Uh, SE do that actually. And yeah. Anyone who's interested, they they will do a kind of um, you can sort of uh, get some on. Uh, yeah, no, they've got a very good. I'm um, we've we've got currently got yeah. a pair of the Voodoo VR1 ribbons, which we're going to be using tomorrow to uh, recording a base, uh, doing a base review, and uh, we've got Andy's SWR in the corner, that, so we'll be marking that up. <clears throat> and uh, so I'm good. looking forward to to using that. That's an, yeah, I mean, we did we did that. We auditioned those those monitors, and uh, they never went back. Right. They're yeah, they're really really great monitors. I yeah, I, lo- I love them. Excellent. Excellent, Gaz. I'm guessing that you probably have uh, quite an interest in this because a lot of the stuff you're you're doing is location. So you show up and you kind yeah. of effectively create the environment on the fly. So you have, presumably, I mean, you're out in the box pretty much uh, continuously anyway, aren't you? So do I, you, I do, am. Do you yeah. find that there are criteria that you, when you go to a place, you know, what do you need to make sure that the workspace is going to work? I mean, is there a kind of you know, is it what's it down to? <clears throat> Um, well, every job differs, really. I mean, I just did one on Saturday uh, where I took out a reasonable amount of stuff. So, I, I mean, I, I can't afford to have two sets of gear, so I'm actually having to break down my studio uh, to take that out on remote jobs. Um, so I've tried to make that system very, very accessible, very easy. And um, uh, so I try and I generally take more stuff than I need. Uh, one of the things I actually quite like doing is going into uh, the rehearsal spaces where bands work, where bands are used to being, where they're very comfortable, where they're, where, and then just trying to sort of sneak in, so to speak, you know, try not to disturb their kind of uh, the way, the way, their comfort, you know, the way that they work, and try to capture them at source. So that's like taking lots of small mic stands, lots of lots of cables. If I can, I'll try and sort of set up as you know, in another room if I can, but if I'm in the same room, then it's a um, uh, process of just trying to uh, try and try and use. I, I'm I'm really into using the nulls of microphones to try and orient them to uh, to try and minimise bleed and that right. kind of gotcha. thing. Uh, but in terms of kit, it's. Uh, I mean, I try and take as little out as possible. But my main issue I've got without a big desk is monitor mixes. So I, yeah. um, like, like I've mentioned on a few times before, yeah. is I'm, I am still looking for some sort of solution to that. Um, uh, something that is both kind of 
portable and flexible. I, I mean, you could, it's worth, probably worth looking at that new Behringer setup, which is just basically a little router and a bunch of, uh, you just feed it like eight or ten feeds and everybody kind of just deals with their own, you know, set it up quite quickly and from a central point and they're cheap as chips as well. I mean, I don't know, I don't suppose they're kind of the highest, highest, super, super quality, but... Well, that's, that actually, my, my, my Behringer motto is don't have Behringer in the signal path. So if it's in the kind of monitoring path, then maybe that's, that that doesn't compromise my uh, <laughs> yeah my well fair enough thing but uh, yeah so that that would be cool yeah and um, <clears throat> excuse me I know Rich you just uh, you you did some work on the design of uh, the studio for, that you're working in every day I mean do you find that you're <clears throat> excuse me do you find, did you did you want to kind of create something that had space you know like how much rack space do you leave free in case you get some more kit or do you do you make it expandable how many rows of patch bay do you leave space for you know those are the sort of things that you have to kind of factor in don't you because things change particularly at a time when when equipment and in what what the computers are capable of is increasing in capability i suppose did you find that that was an easy thing to design for or is it still a thorny issue no, when I designed this studio that I'm in in 2007, I looked at the studio before it that I had designed in 1995 and said, I know exactly what's wrong with this and why it doesn't match my workflow anymore, and I know exactly what I need to do to turn it into something that does. And I, you know, I'd had the intervening, what, 12 years to think about it. So right. by the time I got to 2007, I knew exactly what kind of workflow I needed to support. I knew exactly what my criteria and priorities were in that room, what I was likely to have to face. And I basically designed it for me to work in. So, no, it was actually uh, conceptually fairly easy. And also I had my really good friend, Tim, who occasionally yeah. participates in the chat room, to bounce the ideas off of. And he would give me great feedback that would help me to better decide how to achieve what I wanted from an operational standpoint because hmm. of the things I need to do in there. It's interesting because, I mean, here, you know, in this space, we've got a number of different aspects to deal with. Obviously, we've got the audio and then we've got the, I mean, where I am over here in the corner is where the desk is at the moment. But then over there, there's like a set that, uh, that we hope to be using and then you know there's there's going to be one here to my right which is where review stuff's going to happen over there will be more sort of set pieces and hopefully we'll be doing some you know providing some services whatever and just figuring out how to make all of that work and be configurable and you know where to put everything because we've got to think about uh, wiring for cameras and making those move it's just it's such an enormous amount of stuff to think of at one point it's something that's outside my scope of uh, of interest nick Yes, PJ. Rich, Rich brings up a great point. I think for anybody that's never done it before um, but is interested, so there's probably a lot of people listening to the podcast that maybe have small recording rigs in their home or they're, they want to get into doing that kind of thing. You know, they're, they're musing about it. Yeah. Um, definitely having somebody to bounce ideas off that is knowledgeable and, you know, has – uh, has done some of this before is is a great place to start. And then even if you don't think you have the budget or the time or even the proclivity to do it, but you but you dream about it and you think that it's something you might someday do, you know, set up either a small or a large facility, think about what it is that you do musically, sonically, uh, or otherwise, you know, creatively in your, in your, you know, what you would want to do, what you aspire to do in your studio space. And then you can sit down and with a piece of paper or in a computer you can design these things theoretically for yourself and it never it never comes out the same way in the wash when you're actually wiring things up and hooking things up but it's a great i think it's a great practice and a whole lot of fun and really will help you when you finally do sit down to brass tacks and decide to design a studio and put it together you'll you'll know the way forward you know if, if you if you plan and talk things out with knowledgeable people prior to do you know excellent pj excellent pj excellent absolutely well i do because i do i do remember um you know when i've moved studios before when it's been purely about my synthesizers and my recording setup and my mixing and what have you you know spending ages designing the patch bay doing the lays out you know getting into spreadsheets and going yeah that goes there and that goes there and then mapping it all out and then just wiring it up but now that seems less of a of a of a concern because I'm hope what I'm hoping to do is run you know basically cat um, 
not Cat5, but optical cables up to 15 metres, which I think I can get so, so eight metres down the, the way and then f uh, three or four metres across will get me to the other corner so I can put an eight-way stage box over there and have another one that floats around and basically get enough input into this desk here to control everything. So that's going to be less of a less of a, a, an issue for me, but um, it's all the other stuff. But I think you're right, but I, I think the problem is for us at the moment, we don't exactly know what it's going to have to do because we're not sure what <laughs> what it's all going to, uh, what it's going to come down to. So um, that's the tricky part and how many sets we can build. I mean, because we, we, because we had now and everything in the way, we haven't had as much time to plan. So we're sort of very much, we come in and kind of got it all working and going, right, now we can use this space. How You know, let's live in it a little while and figure out how it's going to work best. But, you know, in a, in a, in a right. commercial... So for, your, you for your specific... Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry, Nick. Go. Yeah. Oh, for, for your specific situation, it sounds to me like, you know, trying to nail down as many of the specifics as you possibly can, which it seems like you're doing, account for those and then leave space for a possible expansion, you know, wherever you can. Yeah. And it sounds like, you know, in your space, because it's, it's, you you know exactly how you want to utilize the space yeah. at present you know for for the things you're doing you get to kind of normal a lot of things to your desk and then use your desk as a routing system oh yeah and that's that, right that I might mean, make it easier to definitely. yeah so that might actually make it easier in the future to be able to you know to to move things around so i mean, i think uh, i think you're you're going to be in good shape well, i hope so i certainly hope so dave uh, i'm guessing that um you must dream occasionally of uh, moving to another space. What uh, what will you do? What will you do with it when you have it? Fill it up. <laughs> That's what happens with me. It's just oh, this is a nice space, and then it just gets filled up. Let's fill up over there. I mean, yeah, that's just the way like it is. Like that guy in the film, you mean? In which film is that? The Vimeo film you sent out this morning. Uh, what's uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The <laughs> fact that he's kind of like that, squeezing <laughs> himself down the aisle. Yeah, it's not. I mean, if you want to get past uh, the Chamberlain and the well, it's a, you have to be pretty slim. Yeah, I wouldn't make it. I certainly don't. <laughs> On occasion, I don't. Yeah, Dave, uh, if you uh, ever want to make room, I know where you can send those things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, there's something else that we were looking at this week, uh, and I was like, yeah, it could go there. And Chris is like looking at me going, it will never fit. Anyway, but that unfortunately, that's just the nature of the beast. I'm in such a small room that it's like, but I would love, love a large space and the ability. But what I have found is that when I have done that in the past, I, I'm, I guess I'm kind of fortunate in a way in that the setup has to revolve around me. But when I have been working with other people, you kind of have this brief and it ne it always expands and it always kind of changes. And then somebody comes in and goes, oh, I want to do this. And then you have to unplumb everything. So you can start off with this really tidy and neat system. Yeah. And before you know it, it's like stuff hanging out here, there and everywhere. Yeah, 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 and yeah. then the next project starts and the same happens again. So well, I like that, the idea particularly of if you collect synthesizers and you go, I filled that stage box up. I can no longer normalize it to the patch base. That means I've got to run a cable around to the back of the desk. You know, yeah. And it just goes on and on and on. I've been in that situation. Yeah, as well. I, mean, I use my head torch to uh, put some le put leads into my rack mount mixer. I have All to sort of lie on torch. the floor. People laughed when we gave yeah. it as a as a prize for the uh, for the show for the for the theme tune. But actually, we know, guys, don't we? Head torches. Oops, what have I done? I've just pressed a button and something terrible's happened. Mm. That's the first thing you need when putting together a studio. That's that's step one. Get a good uh, head torch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And now I need glasses. <laughs> Right, there, there's everybody. Sorry, I pressed the wrong button here. I've still got a bit of tweaking to do. I mean, the thing that we're going to do here now, hopefully, at least, is... Um, there we go, there's Rich. There's Rich in his head torchness. Brilliant. Excellent. Uh, you know, we want to we want to basically switch everything over to full HD, so we'll have everything running on, on HDMI switching, because this, this is all very sort of Heath Robinson and organic, but it'd be quite nice to have something that actually synchronizes and doesn't sort of, we have a constant frame rate and all of those kind of things. But, uh, so we're working on all of that as a, as an idea, but, um, but yeah, it's going to be an exciting time. And once again, I'll give you another little flip. I mean, there's a, there's a look at all that floor space with nothing in it. It's amazing. Wow. It's just vast. In fact, I, what I, I could do is take you on a little tour of the office. Cause I've, I've got, what I did was I extended the, uh, um, I extended the uh, cable on my webcam. I did this for Dave the other day. I don't think I'll be able to be... Uh, let's have a look. It might have to be Son's audio. 
But let me see if I can pull that. Uh, here we go. So I, I'm going to take I'm going to take everybody on a quick tour. Here we go. Right. So you ready? You're with me. I think you're with me. See that? There's the ceiling. I'm, right. I'm coming. Like a, I'm laying on the floor. It's like a colossus, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a bizarre audio Rorschach test. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like I'm in somebody's flashback. (laughs) Well, it's about time. (laughs) I paid for those damn things 30 years ago. <laughs> I borrowed that from Hunter Thompson. I'm still waiting for those flashbacks I paid for 20 years ago. <laughs> we did lose Nick's audio, he should know. And yeah. he's yeah. now been reduced to one of the smaller boxes on screen. So This will definitely be a, an interesting segment of the audio-only podcast. Yes. Yes. Two audio right, just one second. I can't hear anybody. There we go. That was a quick, a quick whistle stop tour of the uh, the new space. Uh, as you can see, we've got you know we've still got loads and loads and loads and loads of um, unpacking to do and what have you. But uh, the point is, we've got loads of rooms. We can just hide things behind, <laughs> pile loads of junk back there. But those rooms will become useful for other things. Phew. <laughs> People Very like good. the colourful background, Nick, and I agree. The Everybody colourful. Well, I think what we might have to do is get some kind of orangey light that we can use because uh, it's not actually part of the um, part, you know, it was the part of the plan. It just happens to look kind of, yeah, you know, looks well, kind of funky. So we might get, you know how all, that is, but I also, I've got these little um, down lighters, tiny little led down lights on the keyboards, which pick them out quite nicely, which I'm hoping to develop a bit more over here. But uh, anyway, um, I yeah. think, cool. I think that's probably us for today. I, I was going to go into this other topic, but I've actually got um, I've got a world of uh, stuff to deal with. So maybe maybe we can save that for another week, uh, and that would be kind of fun. So um, there's everybody there. Um, I'll bring myself into the picture, and we've got a kind of giant uh, a giant collection of us all. There's uh, Rich Hilton and Dave there, and um, the, I'll say goodbye to everybody now before I run out of other things to say. But I want to say thank you very much to everybody for joining me this week. Um, that was Sonic Talk number 254. And uh, I'm sorry about the gremlins at the beginning, but it seemed to be work, work fine. I hope, uh, hope the show was okay for everybody. After that, I think the streaming's held up because, as I said, we've got a lot more um, bandwidth here. Um, so it should do. Blooming well should do. Anyway, I want to say thank you very much to Rich Hilton there from Hiltonius.com. Hope My you have pleasure. a great, hope you have have a great, great week, a great week in the studio uh, coming up for you as well. Thank you very much for joining us. And uh, over there we got PJ. Thank you again for your insight into your uh, move because I mean you're right in the thick of it and it's a very interesting uh, concept. I'd love to see some pictures when it's all uh, up and ready. It'd be lovely to see that, PJ. Yeah, I'll definitely, I'll definitely do that. Um, yeah, thank you. It's been, uh, it's been great. I, I love, I love having the opportunity to come here and geek out about this stuff. It's just, <laughs> it's too, it's too much fun. And I'm glad I got a little bit of King Crimson in there as well. So uh, that, that was, right. that's always pleasing. And um, we're going to say thank you very much to Gaz Williams right there, who you will see on the uh, Sonic Touch show very shortly because we're about to, uh, I'm about to publish that as well. Gaz is still. Still, still looking quite um actually it's hard to tell but you're holding the mic there you look like you're commentating on a race uh, on a uh, oh what's that I oh i was just going to mention this um i've got a lot of headphone work to do so i just picked up one of these today this oh, is the vrm box vrm box so i will report back if anyone's interested to see how yeah no it'd be interesting to see what uh, you think we did a review of it some time back actually it's got it's a nice mic yeah. it's a nice headphone amp and some of the yeah. virtualization's a bit a bit odd, but it does sort of it does. Mm. The thing that I found about it is it does um, expose holes or um, inadequacies in your mix that you wouldn't notice, perhaps in your usual well, set of monitors. Uh, when I mix with headphones, they always sound weird to me when I play them back through monitors. So if it does anything to sort of help that, then uh, good. So mm. I, I shall report back my my findings. Anyway, thank you, Gaz, very much um, for your uh, involvement, and we'll speak to you very soon. And of course, Dave Spears, G4 Software, um, no doubt um, 
just started this maybe we've started the uh, the process rolling on the idea of uh, of a new room for you eh maybe you're going to need to go up be nice. a window well i'd like a window a yeah. windows are good um although you don't you definitely don't want them as big as they are here and as single glazed as they are here but uh, definitely can appreciate and of course you're all more than welcome to come down and visit us at any time we've got room and space yeah, will, and all of those things so Dave Spears g4software.com thank you for joining us as well uh, it's been a great fun thank show you. I think I'm going to play out again with um, some more some King Crimson just because because I really like that yay anyway folks uh, that was Sonic Talk number 200 and um, oh 254 minus a few gremlins in the words but thank you very much here we go oh that's not it <laughs>